What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello and welcome to the Wellpreneur podcast. My name is Charlie and I'm head of growth here at Wellpreneur. This week, we're talking about how to market your business without social media. What? I hear you cry. Are you crazy? But everyone is on social. Well, you're right. They are. And social is a fantastic tool for many wellness entrepreneurs, enabling them to attract new clients and nurture them into becoming real live paid clients. But we also hear a lot of frustration in the Wellpreneur community on Facebook with people finding it just not working for them or when they put loads of effort into creating creative and they just don't feel like they're getting much or any return. Now, I would mainly put this down to not having the right strategy or messaging in place to make it work for you and your target market. And also, often there's an over-reliance on it being just a one-stop solution for your marketing when really it isn't. It always needs to be in addition to your other marketing activities. But there are also genuinely some fields and businesses that just don't need social as much as others. The target market is looking for help and you don't need to be discovered in a way that social can help you uh, do. And when you add in the detrimental effects that social media can have on your own mental health, including stress and addiction and unhealthy sleep patterns, it's really important we as solopreneurs are using it wisely and strategically for our businesses. My guest on the show today is Camille Freeman, a licensed herbalist and nutritionist since 2003, who's worked in OBGYN offices, a fertility clinic, and in her own private practices. She's also a professor in the Department of Nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health. Camille, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great. I'm so pleased to have this discussion with you because I just think it is so um, timely and relevant to a lot of wellness solopreneurs out there at the moment who are grappling around with um, how to market their wellness business. So, um, so yeah, really excited to have you on the show. It would be great if we could just kick off with you telling us a little bit about your journey and about how you became a, a wellpreneur and, and your journey into the wellness space. I would love to tell you about that. So I uh, became an herbalist in 2003. I graduated with a master's of science in herbal medicine, and I knew I wanted to be doing something in the reproductive health space. And so I actually took my physical resume to OBGYN offices in my area and dropped it off at the physical resume. Now yes. it's been a long time since we <laughs> yes. physical resume. I printed it off and I took it to OBGYN offices. I just walked in and gave it to the receptionist. And one of them happened to call me back and they were looking to expand their offerings for their clientele. And so I started working in this OBGYN office as a contractor. Uh, and that started off my whole uh, journey. I really figured it out as I went. I didn't always have very much background in terms of promoting my practice and making it work, but I found that just trying things, uh, seeing what worked and seeing what didn't has been 
what's kept me afloat all these years. Brilliant. Yeah. Test and learn and learn as we go, as quite often we are doing. And so you must have seen a lot change since 2003 in terms of in this space and how you kind of market yourself. Like what have been the kind of main things that have changed for you? Well, certainly social media has been the biggest one. Mm. Uh, Back in 2003, Facebook was not a big thing yet. We certainly didn't have Instagram and Twitter and this, that and the other. Uh, So it was really Back then, it was all about putting your flyers up at the health food store bulletin board and just speaking to people, doing referrals, physically showing up in spaces, doing health fairs. Those are some of the really common ways that we would find clients back in the day. And then, of course, now everyone's online and there's a whole new set of strategies that a lot of folks are using. And I actually used those as well for a long time. Um, I was on Facebook, I had a large ish. A Facebook group that I was using to connect with my people. Um, so there are certainly effective techniques out there, um, but it, it does, the space does look very different now than it did back in 2003, 2004. Yeah. But sometimes it kind of feels like we've almost forgotten some of those kind of original good tactics to just go and and meet people and go where people are and and kind of get back to our roots. I think sometimes um, we do just kind of go, well, everyone's on Facebook, so we should we should also be like trying to attract people on Facebook or on on Instagram. But I think, uh, yeah, you decided to quit Facebook and uh, social media a little while ago. What what made you make that decision? Well, so at the beginning of 2019, actually at the end of 2018, I was making my resolutions for the upcoming year, and I was noticing that I was spending more time on social media than I would have liked to not just for my professional reasons, but also, you know, scrolling, doing the doom scrolling and the <laughs> comparing and all of that. Compare and despair. That's what we call it here at Wellpreneur. It's very <laughs> much compare and despair. Yes, there was a lot of compare and despair and just getting going down rabbit holes. I love to start reading things and learning and it felt productive, but it wasn't, it wasn't productive. I felt it was taking away from my time with my family and my sleep. And I also had some questions about the ethics of Facebook in particular. And so I said, you know what, why don't I just try to step away from social media for a year? Uh, so I said that as one of my intentions for 2019, that I would just let set that aside and see how it went. And that I would give myself permission to start it back up again after that year if I decided I wanted to bring it back into my life. And were you using it for your business at that point? Were you, did you have like a community? Were you kind of like all over it for your business page or was it just more for a personal? No, I had a business page on Facebook that was uh, fairly large. At that time, I was moving into doing more mentoring work with other uh, herbalists and nutritionists. So I had a Facebook page primarily for herbalists to share some different things about you know, being a professional herbalist. And I, that was going really well, actually. And I just decided to let it go. Um, it's still there, I think. I, I don't ever go on there and check on it. So I didn't, I didn't disband it or anything, but I am not, uh, I'm not there. And so what I did is I shifted to putting much more focus and attention on my mailing list. And that became my primary way of communicating with my people. So I just stepped away from Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and so forth. And I tell you what, it felt so good. (laughs) It really helped me in my 
personal life, just having more time for the things that were important. I started reading before bed instead of scrolling before bed. I found that my sleep improved. I found that I could just focus more on the things that I wanted to do without worrying about what other people were doing in their lives and in their businesses. And so I, I did have to switch things up a little bit in the ways that I reach people and the way I connect with people and the way I stay in touch. Well, that was going to be my first question. So like if, if, you, if you put all your energy then just into your email list, but how do they discover you to, to get uh, on that email list? How, how are you mainly finding people find you? Yes. So what I've found is that referrals are more important than ever. Um, just having people speaking about me having people sharing my work. That has been absolutely critical. Um, So I've really been cultivating uh, referrals. And the other thing that I've been doing is offering free webinars. And I will tell people that they're free. Please come and join me. And the only thing that I ask in return is that you either share a link to the webinar on social media, invite a friend, or um, leave a review of a previous webinar or class that I've taught. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It really helps because other people share it on social media for me. And I think of it as a win-win because they get to come to my class. It's totally free. And I get a lot more exposure. Um, when people do sign up for the webinars, I add them to my mailing list. I make that very clear on the registration. So I get a lot of new folks from those webinars. That's the primary thing that builds my mailing list at this point, I would say. But I love that because if somebody is sharing that webinar with you, it can be almost more powerful than it can, what it can be because it's, it's social proof and it's, it's recommendation, isn't it? So if you're getting people to share it with their friends, then they're going to take more notice of it because it's coming from their friends and their contacts. That's a great way to fill the webinars. And then, yeah, so you, you fill your, your mailing list from, from them. And then I take it you're putting more energy into really kind of getting that mailing list work for you then rather than, than kind of, if you're just focusing on that, like your open rates and your, your, your click rates are on your mailing list are kind of key. Yes, absolutely. I have a relatively small mailing list, uh, but it's very active and it's essentially completely full of exactly the people that are interested in my work. So I have very little turnover in my mailing list and I do a lot of work very specifically to try to make my mailing list helpful for the people who are on it. Um, so I've had over the past few years since I've been off social media, it's been a real adventure for me learning more about how to help people via my email list and how to make it useful and readable and also how to work in information about my practice. Because I think like many <laughs> practitioners marketing myself and talking about my work, it's not always the easiest for me. So I've had to find ways that feel good to me and not too icky, you know, to make that work. And uh, going really well. Oh, that is so, we hear that so often in the Wellpreneur community, you know, their reaction to marketing is just like, oh, I don't want it. It's salesy. It's forced. But yeah, finding those ways where your product or your service can naturally fit into your communication without it feeling like, oh, and by the way, we've also got this product. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a journey to find those kind of natural ways to, to fit it in. But I love that then. So you kind of like gradually learned how to make your communication just super, super useful and readable. And you now have a very, very engaged yes, um, community absolutely. on email. And 
you know, I found for me, the things that work really well are keeping it very, very simple. I don't have a lot of fancy graphics and text and things like that. It's really just my logo and then words. And I try not to have too many words. So like very simple, lots of white space and very specific to things that I think folks might want to hear about. So that's kind of what I do. And it seems to be working really well for me. And tell me more about these webinars then. So how often, you know, bearing in mind, people are saying people are spending 40 minutes a day on Instagram. So, you know, you're trying to really get that attention, like while they're scrolling through the feed, like how often are you doing webinars and and how, how are they working for you in terms of getting numbers in and getting people to watch the full thing? Um, yeah. Tell me about your webinar story. Yes. Okay. Well, I do the webinars. I wish I could say that I have a formal schedule that I've planned out in advance. And unfortunately, (laughs) I cannot say that. I essentially do a webinar when the urge strikes me. So it winds up being maybe four or five times a year. I do one of these free webinars and I will just listen to what people are saying. When I send out emails, um, I have a podcast that I also do. Um, So the feedback that I get from those and the questions that I get, I'll try to do the webinars on topics related to those. So for example, right now, my primary focus is on mentoring other herbalists and nutritionists. And so I've been doing webinars on things like how to price your consultations and um, how to find your target market or your niche and that kind of thing. So I will come up with the idea. I'll I have a web page that I use that talks about, um, you know, how to get your free ticket by sharing it on social or inviting someone else, et cetera. Um, and then I'll do the webinar. I have actually been having really good numbers. So for me, I don't know what good numbers are for everybody else, but I'll often get somewhere between 50 and 80 people signing up for one of these webinars. And usually more than half of the people attend live. And almost all of them stay through the whole thing. Maybe one or two people will drop off towards the end. But most of the people who come stay for the full thing. And then most of the people who don't come do watch the recording within a week or two. So they've turned out really well for me and offering them. Yeah. I find them really fun. And was it something that you were offering in your kind of traditional coaching uh, space uh, for um, around re- reproductive health? Was it part of your marketing mix when you were, were, were not mentoring people or is it a new kind of addition since you started mentoring? It, well, it's funny because my mentoring focus in the pandemic sort of coincided. <laughs> so prior to the pandemic and also prior to me turning my focus more towards mentoring, uh, instead of webinars, I would do more live presentations or live classes out in the community. Um, So for example, I would do classes at yoga studios about fertility and reproductive health or um, at my OBGYN office where I worked or things like that. I would do presentations there and they would serve similar purposes. Although of course, being online is a little bit of a different (laughs) setup. So yes, it's hard to separate with the pandemic and the shift in my focus. But I do think this strategy would work really well for the same type of thing. Like if I were to put my attention back to fertility, for example, I I would pick a very narrow topic about fertility. For example, um, you know, what to eat in the last week before you're expecting your period when you're trying to get pregnant or something something narrow like that. And I think I could really make that work also in the same type of manner. Because that's the thing, isn't it? I think when you are in the health and wellness space and people are looking for information 
um, they have a specific problem that they need help with, then those kind of information rich formats like webinars work really, really well. And what we quite often find is this obsession with social media is that you need to kind of like grab their attention and then kind of try to convince them that they that this is a problem that they could like be helped with. But actually, when you're in a field where somebody knows they have a problem and they are searching for help, then there is less of a need for that kind of attention grabbing, quickly get them in the scroll, like get them to st- thumb stopping creative. There's less of a need for it um, and, and more of a need for good kind of SEO or good like being found in the right places and getting quality, informative content on your website or out there through webinars, things like that, that can really, really help people and give them a better experience of working with you than you can get across in the feed. Yeah. And I love that point too, um, Charlie, because what I also do with the webinars, because they're recorded, it's not like you can only go to them live. So I have them up on my website where people can sign up for them any old time. And I, I get a lot of sort of passive new folks coming in that way, even when I'm not running a live webinar. One of the things that I found really helpful is I actually have just a resource page for practitioners and it's got all of this stuff on there. It's a referral page for people. They'll say, oh, well, Camille has this whole page. Go check out if there's something on there that might help you. And a lot of times people will be like, oh, she did this webinar on finding your practice focus. Why don't I click here? And then they'll sign up through my email via that direction. So it does serve as kind of a hub. And I've already done the work. I'm not having to recreate it constantly. Like you said, it's just there and people can find it and use it when they need it. Yeah, it's your evergreen, evergreen content. But I I know because I've checked out that page on your website and you recommend Wellpreneur's Marketing Bootcamp. So I was quite pleased about that. (laughs) I do. I think it's an excellent program at such a good price too. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you for that. That wasn't even planned. Brilliant. <laughs> so um so yeah you are continuing to grow and thrive without social media. You haven't you haven't gone back to it since 2019. No, I haven't. Every now and then I've got to pop on for something related to one of my kids or something like that, but for my professional stuff, I really just don't do it. And I it's so freeing. I just don't I don't have to worry about it. It's not on my schedule and I've got more time to get creative about things like these webinars or figuring out um, you know, how else I want to find my people and help them. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? There are still, you know, you can take marketing back to the basics of what it is and there are still ways to find these tribes of people or that doesn't necessarily rely on trying to grab attention in a news feed. Um, there are still places people are going to ask for help or that could be good referral partners for you that you can still build those relationships with and go back to traditional marketing um, and, and will be will be a good yeah. way of marketing your business. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm kind of jealous of that freeing aspect for you because I'm definitely a little bit too addicted to the scroll right now. <laughs> well, you know, that you just reminded me of something, Charlie, because I think that when you get involved in social media, there's also this focus on numbers right? Like how many people are following you and how many posts you need to do and how many people liked it and clicked it and this sort of thing. And I think that, of course, there's always value in data. But I also think there's there's so much more there. And uh, for example, with my mailing list, I don't have, like I said, I don't have a huge 
mailing list. But my goal is to have a mailing list where if, if the right person is on it, they're going to feel almost a sigh of relief when they find me, you know, when they hear one of my messages and they're like, oh, thank goodness, somebody understands me and is helping me with what I need help with. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be a mailing list of 4,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 people to make this work. It just has to be finding the right people and connecting with them regularly. And I find that the email list is a great way to do that because people know that you're sending them good stuff. They're going to read it. And you've got so much control over it as opposed to social media where you're like, well, somebody's not logged in or if the algorithm changes or whatever, it's just out of your hands a lot of times. Yeah, I think I think you're totally right about the good quality content it, at, the, at the end of the day. It just comes down to that. Are you creating the right content, yeah, be it on email or, or social, but but like that's the thing that really cuts through. Um, and if you've got that targeted right email list, then then yeah, they're going to be opening it. They're going to be engaging with it. Um, but I'm a big proponent of like just fewer, bigger, better. Like it enables you to really focus in your business. Like actually, what are the few things that you're going to do really big and really well, rather than trying to spread yourself too thinly over loads of social channels, lots of different ways of trying to find people, and and you'll find that. Yeah, you just don't get as much traction when you do that because you're not doing any of them as well as you could do if you just focused in on the, the one or two things that are going to help bring audiences and clients to your door. So you spoke before about referrals um, uh, and how important they are in your business. I'm particularly interested in the kind of fertility uh, clinic um, and private practice aspect um, because obviously that's a kind of um, challenging area around testimonials because it's quite a personal private thing. So, so how does kind of referrals in your, in your practice and in your work work for you? Yeah. So again, there's sort of two phases. There's the time when I was primarily focusing on one-on-one -on -one client work with reproductive health and fertility. And in those cases, what really worked well for me was kind of matching up with a few physicians who understood my work and the kinds of clients who might be a good fit for me. And once I established those relationships, it really became a very fruitful referral process where I would send my clients to them for assistance if they needed it. And then they knew what kind of clients might resonate well with me or might be served by my work. And so we had a mutually beneficial referral situation going I think the key things there are just open communication and doing a really good job, which is, of course, <laughs> um, sometimes out of your hands. But when, a, when, when another practitioner sees that you are filling in a gap in care that they aren't able to work in themselves, um, that can be really helpful. And, and one of the things with me is that a lot of times um, when people are trying to get pregnant, when they are pregnant or when they're postpartum, they are trying to make lifestyle changes. They're very motivated to make lifestyle changes during these time periods. Um, but it takes time. You know, as we all know, as wellpreneurs, <laughs> this is not an easy thing. It's not a one visit, do this, and then everything's fine. People need to be having ongoing care and support. And physicians just often don't have the time to do that. Primary care is so busy. Um, so understanding that you're here to help, that you are somebody who can be that person where you're meeting with them bi-weekly or once a month to keep them on track and follow through with their plan and so on and so forth. When people get that and see the benefit from some of their clients, that is really when the referrals start to roll. 
in my experience. Yeah, that win-win situation for both of you, the classic seven habits mm -hmm. uh, of effective people, isn't it, in terms of making it, making it work for both of you. Um, and then I suppose from a marketing training point of view, we always talk about the importance of testimonials and getting them all over your website um, because they are the things that are, and, you know, shouting about them in social media as well. They are the things that are going to, uh, that are going to make buying from you easier. Am I correct in saying you don't use testimonials in your work at the moment or? I don't use client testimonials, meaning people who have worked with me for their health concerns, like in an individual herbal or nutrition consultation. I do not use um, testimonials from those folks. I do use testimonials from people who have taken classes with me or done mentoring, um, that kind of thing. Uh, but I don't for the client, for the one-on-one -on -one clients. And that is, that's something that I've evolved my thinking of really over the last couple of years. I, uh, I was doing some research, was it last year or the year before? Anyway, recently about testimonials. And I happened to come across some information about um, therapists and counselors and the ethics of using testimonials in their practices. And I found that most of the professional um, licensing or accreditation bodies do not permit or do not recommend using, actually it's not using testimonials, it's soliciting testimonials from clients and using them in your marketing for ethical reasons. And I was like, what? Yeah. Never, I just had never heard anybody talking about that before. And I was like, hold on, hold on, let me, <laughs> let me learn more about this. Uh, and I, so I found that the concerns were that you are essentially potentially using the clients for personal gain and that the power differential between the practitioner and the client may interfere with the client's ability to say no if you ask them for a testimonial, that they may not feel comfortable saying no due to, um, due to the relationship that you have, that there may be undue influence is the term that they use. Um, so I was like, well, that's very interesting. And a few people also make the point that there can be implications if there's any chance that, for example, an employer or a spouse or a friend may recognize the person's name or initials on your website and then know something about their personal health situation. Like you mentioned, fertility and pregnancy and postpartum are particularly vulnerable times for people. Uh, so I was like, oh, that is interesting. It does seem like there's the potential possibly for harm and there is the potential for some introducing some weirdness into the relationship. And one of the things that I find with my fertility clients is that, uh, you know, you work with people on fertility long enough, and eventually you've got a bunch of pregnant people that you're working with. <laughs> and then you've got a bunch of people That's who are postpartum and have toddlers. Yes. So uh, oftentimes people will work with me for a while in pregnancy. And then maybe a few years later, they want to have another baby and they come back or something happens and, you know, they're going through perimenopause and they want to work with me then. So I'll find that sometimes there's huge gaps in the time between when somebody first starts working with me and then, uh, you know, they come back sometimes years later. And I was like, again, if I ask them for a testimonial and I don't know if our relationship is officially over, like we may have concluded our work together, but maybe we haven't. I just don't want to put, add any layers to our relationship that might interfere with, um, with our healing therapeutic practices, the work that we're doing together. So that's why I decided I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do them. Um, I've also been in practice long enough that I have 
you know, I have people coming in. I don't, I'm not start, I'm not just starting out. I have kind of other ways that people understand the kind of work that yeah. I'm doing. Um, so I haven't, I found that it works for me, but I do understand, especially for newer practitioners, <laughs> you know, that there are reasons to consider testimonials and reasons not to. I, uh, I think it's just important for people to think about, make an informed decision to kind of understand the pros, the cons, the potential implications and do what you can to make it work in your own situation. Yeah, I think, um, oh, that was a really, really interesting perspective on it. Because yeah, obviously with us talking to to new wellness businesses, we are always about, you know, trying to get those testimonials to help you get those first clients uh, over the first couple of years of, of, you, of you starting. But I, I think there's the two aspects there of both strong relationships with referrers means that you're less reliant on it and then yeah being around for a fair while so that you can you've got that kind of word of mouth where previous clients they may not you, you know you might not need to ask them for a testimonial to put on your website or social media but you've had enough kind of uh of a base number of, of people to like have got a reasonable amount of word of mouth of people going oh you're having a challenge go and see so and so um i think they're they're definitely two two key factors in that um but yeah, really interesting to hear that perspective. I, I hadn't before. Yeah, and I, you know, I do think, I think it's a separate thing to to tell your current clients, especially in a newsletter or something that's not one in one. I certainly think that saying, "Hey, I've got openings for two new clients this month. If you know anyone who might be interested, please send them my way." I think that's a totally different thing, and absolutely, to me, that doesn't seem to violate any ethical uh, boundaries or anything like that. Oh no, and to me, that is. That is genius marketing for me because that is definitely scarcity value there. That is basically saying I've only got two. Like, like it's exclusive. Like, tell your friends and they could get those two slots. So, uh, <laughs> I can guarantee you're not doing it from that perspective. But like, as a as a, <laughs> I can just from talking to you. But I also, yeah, that is that is a, a really good way of um of getting referrals within your uh, existing audience. I think that's a great tactic. Great. Oh, well, listen, it has been really, really interesting talking to you today, Camille. And thank you because I, I think, um, yeah, social media is such a beast for the new uh, wellness entrepreneurs coming into this space and getting their heads around it. And kind of, you talked a bit before about rabbit holes. It, it, it is a total rabbit hole. Um, so uh, it's been really interesting to hear the perspective of uh, a business operating without social media. Um, so, so thank you for, for, for coming on the show. We will put your um, links, but not your social media profile, uh, <laughs> in the show notes for anybody else who wants to hear about Camille's work. Um, but yes, thank you very much for joining us. And um, we will see everybody next week on the uh, next episode of the Wellpreneur podcast.